Hello and welcome to The G Word. My name is Naima Kalachant and I'm the Head of Product Marketing here at Genomics England. On today's episode, we're celebrating International Nurses Day and I'll be joined by Tiggy Johnson-Burt, who is a Macmillan Genomics Clinical Fellow and Clinical Nurse Specialist, Sally Schilliger, a Health Visitor and Practice Development Lead in Genomics, and also a Clinical Content Developer here at Genomics England, and Victoria Cuttle, who is a Nurse Consultant. With the rapid advancement of genomics and healthcare in recent years, nurses have an unprecedented opportunity to leverage this knowledge to provide personalised, precise and effective care to patients. In this podcast, we're going to explore the ways in which genomics is transforming nursing practice. We'll discuss how nurses are using genomic information to develop tailored care plans, identify patients at risk of genetic diseases, and also provide education and counselling to patients and their families. So first of all, let's discuss the role of nurses and health visitors in patient care pathways. I'd like each of you to tell me a little bit about your role and how this fits into the patient care pathway. Tiggy, would you like to go first? Yes. Hello, my name's Tiggy. My background is in breast cancer as a clinical nurse specialist. I also work for Macmillan as a genomics clinical fellow. I have set up the mainstreaming pathway for our breast cancer patients. And just to define what that means quickly, it means delivering genetic testing to our breast cancer patients in-house within the cancer team. So they get access to testing much more quickly and with us guiding them through the breast cancer nurses. Hi, my name is Vicky. I'm a nurse consultant at St Mark's Centre for Familial Intestinal Cancer. So St Mark's is a national bowel hospital um, and what my role involves is diagnosing people who are at an increased risk of bowel and related cancers, the most common of which is Lynch syndrome that many people will have heard of. So we can carry out diagnostic and predictive genetic testing and we also carry out clinical care for our patients and this is lifelong in nature. So we really can care from the patient from the start to the end of their clinical pathway. Hi, I'm Sally and as a health visitor we see children antenatally and then up to the commencement of school and often we are picking up for the first time with families who may be a little bit concerned about their child, may be missing developmental milestones. So we may be one of the first professionals to start wondering if there's perhaps a genomic cause for that child's perhaps delay. So we really get involved with families from the start. And most of my work, Genomics England on the Newborn Genome Programme and the Institute of Health Visiting is about how to support professionals and care for those families with that sort of diagnostic odyssey. Okay, so let's think about, first of all, why it's important for nurses to be involved in the whole patient pathway end to end and what benefits that offers patients. Tiggy, would you like to answer this one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did some genomics education provided by Genomics England, Health Education England, actually. And the outcome of it was that was really interesting, found it fascinating and wanted to really bring that back into our practice. So to set the scene Typically, a breast cancer patient, if you had a strong family history of breast cancer or fulfilled certain criteria, like you were very young, they would be referred onwards to a regional genetics team. And that referral currently stands at about six months waiting time on average. And the results of these genetic tests really do impact on the cancer patient's pathway and their treatment options. For me, it made so much sense to bring that back into our team. The clinical nurse specialist, we spend so much time with our patients. We talk to them. We help them navigate this really complex, stressful, emotional time. And 
I thought, well, you know, why not add this extra level if this is a test that should be provided at diagnosis? We are the perfect people to be able to communicate the complexities of genetics and genomics and family history. We chat to our patients all the time. Nurses do that in their therapeutic relationship. So it makes so much sense for us to be the sort of main navigators and translators of that testing. So the mainstream pathway has loads of, um, in management speaks of lots of deliverables and, and good outcomes for the patient. And it means that we can have chat with them, make sure they understand the testing after their diagnosis and after things have settled down a bit and send that blood test out. And it's much, much quicker. So the return results for us are about four weeks. So four weeks versus six months. And it means we can get the results back in time to help have that chat with them about different systemic therapies that are available to them or different surgical options um, and then go into the kind of supportive area why nurses should be involved in the pathway end-to-end essentially we translate complexity into clarity and I mean it's International Nurses Day I really want to inspire nurses to help them recognize the skill set that we have in advanced communication that nuanced communicating ability to know when to withhold information, not withhold, but, you know, not deliver too much information. We know when to sort of hold back a bit. We know when to give it to them. We see so many patients with such a broad understanding of science and we can really gauge immediately when they're feeling really emotional about things and when they need a little bit more, when they need a bit bit less and they can come back to us. And you've got that single point of contact for the patient going through this time Instead of referring them to another stranger, another team and another site, we can carry them through this whole journey. And it just makes so much sense to me. And would you feel that patients feel more comfortable speaking to nurses? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you build up that therapeutic relationship is is complex. It's personal. And sometimes that's why it's quite tiring, you know, doing what we're doing. We don't realise it. You know, you're having these very emotive conversations, listening supporting, guiding people through this journey. I know lots of people hate journey, don't they? Pathway. And so I think people would feel a lot of people going to a new appointment can end up falling into the trap of just nodding and ticking boxes. Yes, I consent to that. Yes, I consent to that. Yes, I consent to that. And as your nurse that represents you as a patient going through your very kind of vulnerable moments, you can say, I know you're having a really bad time with your husband. I know your partner's really struggling. I know your teenager's really finding this hard, but we can talk about this a bit more later. We can have a call tomorrow. Do you want to do that? We don't have that flexibility, I think, when you're referred to potentially having one appointment in regional genetics, which is a long time away. Now, biggest caveat here of today is I don't want to in any way take away from the absolute breadth and depth of knowledge of the clinical genetics teams. The genetic counsellors are so knowledgeable and they know so much and they are 100% necessary and invaluable and we will always use them. Phone a friend, we always refer on to them for those much more complicated conversations. But the initial testing, the initial counselling and the initial support, nurses are very well placed to provide that. And we are a multitude. We are many. We are one of the, you know, we, there's so many of us in the NHS. So use us. Use that skill. It's there. You know, it's available, ready for the taking. Mm-hmm. Sally, did you? 
Yeah, so I was just going to chip in a little bit from the health visitor's perspective and thinking about the child as central within a family. But but so often for perhaps a child with a rare disease and their family who are on a lengthy diagnostic odyssey, um, there are multiple points of contact that we as health visitors and primarily nurses will have with that family, very much as Tiggy said, to sort of pick up um, issues that are ongoing, but also to sort of unearth issues that actually are going to be quite important for that child. So, you know, particularly around perhaps their particular needs or the support that the family may need in thinking about preschool and what's appropriate in terms of where will be a really good placement for that child or in terms of the sort of support that that family need financially because of the additional needs of the child. So I, ju- I just think there are many practical points that nurses can have tremendous input into families that actually really improve that family's sort of well-being and life outcomes. So now moving on to the benefits of embedding genomics into patient care pathways and the contribution of nurses and health visitors. So why should genomics form part of routine care? Sally, would you like to take this one? Mm, Sure. I guess we should celebrate the huge technical or technological advances that now mean that genomic testing is far more available at scale with shorter timeframes and more affordable. So I guess that's primarily uh, why we are now in this sort of genomics era, and that's hugely exciting. I would just like to quote from the International Council of Nurses, and they say, in terms of nursing, our future depends on every nurse, every voice to not only be on the front lines of care, but also on the front lines of change. And I think genomics brings huge change to patient care because of the technological advances. But also in my world, it answers questions that children may have presented with some concerning presentation for some while and genomic testing can offer the answers and that's certainly been my experience um, for children and families but also I think our role is very much about ensuring that everybody has equitable access so unless we know about genomics and know about our own kind of role and the potential that we have to explain that well to parents in my situation and children, um, then we're not going to ensure equity of access. And that is going to affect the lives of people who don't have that access, which is unfair. And how do you think the role of nurses and health visitors has changed over the years to include genomics? I think in my situation, it's very much evolving. And I think Vicky and Tiggy are um, demonstrating huge changes in clinical nurse specialist roles that as a health visitor, we are yet to see, really. So I think fundamentally, we are a little bit behind, uh, probably in in the sense of understanding what, what our role is. And partly that is about finding our role. And I think, you know, the Newborn Genome Programme, the Generation Study, where you know, the potential for many children to be offered genomic sequencing at birth is going to suddenly um, enhance the appreciation of our role um, because um, as a research study, they are looking to recruit many children for that. But I think it is a bit about realising and and being aspirational and not worrying about the fact that this is um, highly advanced sort of science and yet actually at the bottom line is it's going to improve the outcomes and the answers for children and family and hopefully mean that they have 
um, less time waiting for an answer. Um, I mean, we should acknowledge that for some, there is no answer yet. Um, but actually, that's the amazing thing about genomics that, you know, in time with the sort of research world and the research um, library that hopefully answers are going to be sort of forthcoming and ultimately treatments. And that's really what we want, isn't it? That actually not only do we find an answer to a child or an adult, but actually a treatment is offered to improve their life. And Vicky, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about how your role has expanded to include genomics. I've been in my current job now for 10 years and I started as a nurse practitioner. And when I first started in 2012, the genomics education programme was not in existence. There wasn't any formal training as such for nurses. So over time, training courses have been implemented. We've been able to go on them. We've got the academic therefore background to be able to say we can do these things and that's given us that increased level of confidence and to say well actually as Tiggy was um, so beautifully saying earlier we are the best people in that patient pathway Uh, we are close to our patients we're delivering the clinical care and it just makes sense uh, especially in the initial stages of that pathway to get that diagnosis in whatever area we might be working in and it's often you know the nursing team that are best placed to do the testing Um, and obviously call on the support um, of you know regional genetic services um, when we need it so I've seen a huge shift even in the last 10 years. And I think all of us here today are really passionate about that change because I do think it does help empower nurses. It helps empower our patients. We're passionate about equity of access, as Sally was saying, but it is also about empowering nurses, midwives, health visitors as a profession. And I think that's a really important take home point. What do you think would be the best way to educate patients and their families? Do you want to take this one, Sally? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think probably, certainly in my situation, the opportunity to walk with families um, and, as Tiggy said, you not always sort of bombard them with information, but really to try to think about what does it mean for that child and family and to ask them. So often we're good at giving answers, aren't we, or thinking about what we should tell people. But actually, I think the sort of fundamental is what what, what does that family need to know? Let's ask them what they need to know. And then being really honest about if you don't know the answer, going to sort of find that out. And I think that probably will mean much greater integration with sort of multidisciplinary teams, um, being much more open about sort of contact and communication across the sort of pan-professional group that are supporting that child and family, which sounds so easy and yet often, you know, is, is the kind of really big area that we lack. I just wanted to add to that, I think there's two pieces to this picture of expanding genomics in 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 our healthcare system and Vicky's I think going to talk a bit about workforce education so educating the workforce and then the other side is is as Ali was saying you know talking about how do we get the patients and the family members up to speed I was it's a really smarmy thing to say listening to the last episode of genomics the g-word about science communication and it's it's a really complex topic about how you get the, the public, the general public, to know or care about issues that don't matter to them right now. Mm-hmm. And how do you inspire and engage people? Brian Cox said at the uh, Festival of Genomics, he talked about creating a narrative, an inspiring story to try and get people, really capture people's imaginations. And I'm sure he will really be upset if I misquote him. So I'll try my best. <laughs> but he said, 
you know, even if the science is, isn't technically fully there, you've got that captivating narrative that will really help kind of get people's imaginations going and get them interested in the event. But I was just speaking on Friday to some really inspiring women who have all founded their own charities. They all have a personal history of a genetic variant in breast and ovarian cancer worlds. And there were nine of them. And the recurring theme that came up was in terms of the predictive testing. So that is, I've got a variant, I didn't know about it. So I'm now, so in breast and ovarian cancer, if you've got a change in one of these genes, you will be predisposed. So you'll be at a much higher risk than a member of the general population to developing a breast or ovarian, plus a few others, prostate, pancreas, cancer in your lifetime. And that is a really interesting area of healthcare because we are focused a little bit on the diagnostic bit. So you've got cancer, here you are, you've also got the gene, we'll, we'll make these changes to your treatment. But the predictive piece is probably a little bit more in tune with what Sally does in terms of we're anticipating future diseases. And all of them said that they felt so alone and so unsupported and they were having to go through this very unique situation of having preventative surgery, having mastectomies, going through premature menopause to have their ovaries removed to reduce their risk of ovarian cancer. They're young. They haven't have or haven't had their families yet. How will I feel? How will I look? What about my sexuality? How do I like come to terms with my identity? Nobody talks about breasts anyway in this country, in our society, let alone scarred breasts or reconstructed breasts. So there's this massive space and, and that's just breast cancer. In ovarian cancer, you know, there's so many other gaps. We are really well placed to fill. And it's that kind of the guilt as well associated with people who are predisposed to things. One of the sisters, there were two sisters, one of them um, unfortunately had um, breast cancer and turns out she has a genetic alteration in her PALB2 gene. Um, and her sister said, my sister had to get breast cancer for me to know that I was at risk. And that makes me feel so guilty. I won't have breast cancer because I've had the surgery, but my sister had to go through that for me. So I think it's all very emotive and um, but really, really important. There's lots of things and lots of work to do. And I think those really powerful stories will help capture the, the general public and help people ask us and talk about it a bit more. Vicky? Yeah, I was just going to pick up on points that both Sally and Tiggy made. And the first thing, just when Sally was talking about going on the patient journey, with the families. I think that's really interesting. And actually what, what you're also describing is that inherent trust that obviously mm. lots of healthcare professionals have with their patients. But if you are at that point and it happens whether you've got a cancer or whether you're a health visitor working with a family, you're their point of contact, you're that family and that person's point of contact, they're going to put trust in you. So it's really vital that we actually do have some knowledge of what we're talking about. And of course that, you know, the patient has that trust if we're not quite sure, but we know where to go and ask. And the other thing, just picking up on what Tiggy was saying about the predictive side of things, you know, up until recently, our centre at St Mark's was considered fairly niche because there were a group of nurses and doctors who were both doing the genetic testing, but also carrying out the clinical care. So, for example, you know, if you have a patient with familial adenomatous polyposis, for example, which is where people get lots and lots of polyps in their large bowel and need to have 
their whole large bowel removed as a preventative measure to prevent cancer. We will see the patient, we will discuss surgery with them, we will carry out the surgery, we will look after them after the surgery, we will carry out their endoscopic surveillance going forward. And I think that really is the future, you know, moving forward, that we are in the middle of setting up a rare disease collaborative network for polyposis syndromes. We're so lucky to now have the NHS Transformation Project for Lynch Syndrome. We don't want to be the only ones doing this. We want to replicate and support and help these sorts of examples to happen all around the country because of that equity of access. It's just so vital. If we're doing something great, we don't want to be the only ones doing it. We want every single person in the country with whatever inherited disease or risk of disease to have access to exactly the same level of care, the same level of genetic testing. And really, that's why we're here today to promote that and say, you know, nurses, you are so well placed to be getting involved in, in this work. Yeah, and I think each of you just described just how vital it is for nurses to be involved in every step of the patient journey. Sally, you mentioned about the multidisciplinary team. Mm -hmm. Nurses have been integrated well into the multidisciplinary team with regards to genomics. Speaking as a health visitor, and bearing in mind I've mentioned, I think that our role is definitely evolving in terms of our recognition of where we can contribute to that patient pathway, that, that child's journey. I think we are yet to really integrate. That isn't because the door is closed to integrate, but I think it's all about opening that door really to kind of have dialogue within that multidisciplinary team, not just the kind of professionals that we are used to collaborating with and, you know, hopefully do do well. It's about who else is important for that child. And often what information we have is of relevance to that multidisciplinary team, perhaps the clinical genetic team at the you know, specialist unit or whatever. And one of the things that we have done recently is to write some, uh, they're called good practice points for health visitors. And actually the genetic counsellor who was the author and part of the team that um, worked on them was very clear that, you know, the, the, the sense is that we do need to open those doors wider. But I think it's just about allowing that sort of catch-up process to happen. Now, you can't just say, open the door and everyone's going to go in. It, it is actually needing to be quite active in that. So I think part of it is equipping the workforce to realise the value of greater collaboration and integration, but also somehow the mechanism that we make that happen. And it won't just happen overnight, but it does have to, actually have to be quite intentional. Um, I suspect Vicky and Tiggy are kind of great gurus really in that kind of respect so far, um, but probably for us as well, great work to do. Um, so now if we move on to talk about empowering nurses and health visitors and how they can get involved in genomics. Vicky, I was wondering if you could tell me, as the use of genomics becomes increasingly important in routine care, why is it important for nurses and health visitors to stay up to date with genomics and how can they do this? Well, I think both Sally and Tiggy have, have touched on this um, already. And I recently, as one of the final things I did um, before I left as Macmillan's um, Genomics Clinical Fellow, was to write a blog about demystifying genomics. I think that kind of sums it up, really, because if we as um, a nursing and health visitor workforce are frightened of genomics as a topic, then how are we going to explain those concepts to our patients? And if our, if our patients are not equipped with that information and knowledge, then how are they making informed decisions about their care? They don't know all of the drug treatments, for example, that are on offer, or if they haven't had access to the right genetic testing, then they run the risk of not receiving the right care. And there are many examples, actually, where 
a genetic test may not find the answer. And then we have to make a clinical decision. And it's always not just about person sitting in front of you. So many times we may not get the result that we want, but we know that something's going on in a family. And therefore, we offer advice, screening advice for family members. So we, we, we've got to have that knowledge in order to equip our patients to make sure that all of them out there are receiving the right care. And I think, you know, it's as simple as that, really. And what resources and education tools are available? Well, now there are a huge amount of resources available. It's all very different to when I first came to this. But I think the first piece of advice I would give is for everybody to get onto the internet, obviously, and look at the Genomics Education Programme. It's been set up for all of us, for all healthcare professionals. It's got some fantastic resources. If you're brand new to this, there's a great online learning resource called Genomics 101. It takes you through very short courses, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where you can learn the basics. There's also FutureLearn, which is the Open University's online learning. And there are MOOCs or massive online um, open courses that you can do. A lot of these are free at certain times or there is a small fee well worth doing those there's lots of taught courses that sometimes are funded through the genomics education program watching videos on youtube i have found to be invaluable if i don't quite understand a concept i'll quite often just google it go on youtube watch a video things like that are brilliant podcasts like we're doing today i've learned loads from podcasts find out what is your local genomic medicine service alliance get on the mailing list make sure you're being kept up to date with study day and events that are happening. Um, the NHS has a genomic medicine service uh, and last October it launched its first Genomics UK strategy. Have a read of it, it's really interesting. There are other publications um, like these Chief Medical Officers annual report from 2016 was Generation Genome. That's a really interesting read and things like the Top Hole Review that are about digital um, enabling in, in, in healthcare but also has a strong component around genomics as well. There's, there is so much to get involved with. The third sector, Tiggy and I, um, I've obviously been doing some secondment work with the third sector who are also developing tons and tons of resources in this area. So wherever you look, there is resource available. You can do it in short bursts, in your own time. If you're really interested, then please, please do look at some of these resources. Are there any resources for health visitors? There are. As I, I mentioned, the Institutes of Health Visiting, the Genomics Education Programme have got some tailored resources for health visitors, but for anybody interested as well, and you can access those very easily. And I think, you know, to the credit of Genomics Education Programme, there is a health visiting webpage, there's a midwifery webpage, there's a nursing webpage. You know, they really are about engaging and educating our workforce. I would just also say I, I don't think genomics is an easy subject. And I think depending on your own background in terms of, you know, your perhaps um, schooling or your interests, for some people it can be very, very daunting. And I have found that I have just needed to revisit the kind of 101 that Vicky mentioned really regularly. And don't be afraid of kind of having to do that. And also that reflection is really helpful and the reflection of a kind of practice point or perhaps a child in front of you and following them through and identifying what you know um, and what you don't know and perhaps what you need to know is is also I have found really helpful and I think the other thing to say is if you're really interested you know there are many avenues but sort of ensure that you somehow get this on your PDR so if, if this is something that's really bugging you and you want to know more then at the moment, um, certainly in my um, sphere of nursing, it's not sort of mandatory training. Um, there are lots of 
arguments about whether that will happen in due course and the pros and cons about that. But certainly, I think if it's something that you're interested in, you know, you maybe see this as part of your career progression, maybe find um, somebody that you can talk to, maybe somebody that you can really sort of will buddy you or mentor you or sort of encourage you. And there are courses that you can opt on to. So GEP do fund nurses and midwives to do um, some sort of short courses. There's a year long course, there's heaps out there. And with those people who are going through health visitor training now and nurse training now, is it now incorporated? Yes, the NMC, so the Nursing and Midwifery Council, maybe Vicky wants to add a little bit more, have amended their standards in recent years. And now there is there are components about genomic education being within that, which is really, really great. And, um, you know, de- definitely kind of going to advance, I think, the knowledge of nursing students and ultimately specialist community public health nurses as well. Yes, I think to varying degrees, I think it will come into pre-registration education. I think it's it's there in smaller amounts at the moment and it will increase. And as you, as you said, Sally, it's in the NMC standards now. And I know that there are projects ongoing at the moment to um, work with universities and um, to improve the level of education that is provided in that area. And I wanted to ask as well, do you feel like there are any barriers to nurses or health visitors being able to play their part in genomic medicine? Just to be a little bit controversial, I don't know what Sally and Tiggy think about this, but sometimes nurses can be our own worst enemies at times. I think we sometimes lack confidence that we uh, can take part in you know, certain discussions. And I think genomics, as Sally was mentioning, it is seen as a complicated topic. It can be complicated, but definitely, you know, if any of us can do it and can get involved, then I would advise that anybody can um, and some just may need a little bit more time than others but you know I think it's genomics is a really good example of how we can empower ourselves we are as Tiggy has mentioned at the forefront of that patient pathway we've built up the trust with our patients we want them to get access to quicker you know quicker care if it means a change in their for example their chemotherapy and medication we want to make sure that diagnosis is right and we want to do it quickly without taking them outside of that care pathway to do it so i think that this is a really good way of empowering us as a profession um, and helping us to get the professional respect that we really do deserve and that potentially sometimes is lacking just to add to that you know again um I think um, Vivian Parry was saying in the last podcast about science communications, how we don't necessarily need to be talking about base pairs with our patients. We don't need to be going into that level of scientific development. I've been involved with cascade education to my team, my nursing team. And initially, so much of that work is trying to build the confidence of my excellent knowledgeable colleagues and help them reassure them that it's okay you know a lot of them shut down and panic because they think genomics crikey stop I don't know science I don't like science you know and that's that's nonsense because you know so much of our world in healthcare is scientific and sciencey and it just I think it's this perception sometimes of how nurses and health is to see themselves and it's that lacking in confidence whereas as Vicky said, you know, there's so many excellent resources that will simplify this. And and I think as long as we can grasp the basic kind of concept, a lot of cancer predisposition syndromes, I would say, are 
to say they're autosomal dominant, most of them, most. which means they, if you have one copy of the gene, you've got a, each child will have a 50-50 chance of inheriting it. I think Sally probably deals with recessive patterns of inheritance, which I appreciate would be a little bit more, well, much more complicated to to explain to patients and colleagues. But I was thinking, Sally, what you were saying earlier and, and reflecting on my own experience as a mother and health visitors are, and nurses, both of us, we're safety nets mm. for these patients. And we're so um, best placed in terms of picking up on things that will have been easily missed or slipped through the net because you're there at the patient sort of point of care and any little sign oh look my my child's hips doing this is that normal it's the health visitor who's going to say oh hang on a sec and pick that up and then escalate it and flag we are the largest sector in healthcare workforce we see it's us who are going to pick up on all those subtle nuances because it's we're not less the patient is going to see us the most sally did you i all i was going to say coming back to your question on barriers I mean I think we should acknowledge that time can be a barrier Mm. Um, you know busy caseloads are a a barrier and that's particularly true and we should uh, you know at at the moment um, for for many and I think the other thing is that maybe the value as you've sort of alluded to Tiggy of um, supporting colleagues at different points in their understanding and I really would love to see sort of clinical supervision being um, a mechanism of much it used much more widely I think in genomics um, I think there's there's a huge amount of potential to, to do that and to support um, you know colleagues on in their understanding and somehow having some sort of supervision framework I think gives you know an opportunity for colleagues to discuss cases obviously in a sort of confidential way but also may um, you know be a sort of way of educating but also really sort of focusing on um, the specifics of that particular case and maybe sort of areas that you know um, could could be better improved or outcomes could be sort of reconsidered so I, I, I think there are I was just going to say time I think is, is a big issue um, and, and wouldn't it be wonderful to wave a wand really and, and change that. No, I completely agree, um, Sally. And the level of genomics knowledge that you need very much depends on the area that you work in. And it's increasingly becoming needed in many, many different areas. But I think the first thing to think about if you're listening to this is where do you work and what do you need to know? What is your specific specialist areas? If you're on a ward, what are the sorts of patients that you know that, that come in to see you? Are, are you on a surgical ward, for example, where you, you do happen to look after lots of cancer patients? You know, what conditions are you seeing? Use that as your starting point. And then if you do have a specialist interest, make that case to your ward manager to say why you would like the education. And it always you always have to give back as well. So if you're going to do education, you then want to become the link nurse for genomics on your ward. So you can feed that back. You're giving a reason for your managers to provide that education. And if you if you feel that your education educational worth is not being valued. There's a massive shortage of nurses, uh, health visitors and and allied health professionals at the moment. Please do vote with your feet. There are plenty of workplaces out there that will value you and value your education. And the other side of it is for those that are sitting there maybe and thinking, gosh, you know, I am so busy. We are all under such time pressure at the moment. Do I have time as a, a clinical nurse specialist, for example, to be integrating this into my practice? I can only say from the other side of the coin where every 
week in, week out, I see patients that have been diagnosed with cancer that potentially didn't need to be diagnosed with cancer. I've seen families bereaved uh, because people died uh, of something which, if we picked it up earlier, need never have happened in the first place. So there are times, and this is one of them, where, of course, we're time pressured, but especially in, in the cancer world, and of course I'm biased because that happens to be my area of specialty, uh, is that we really can't afford not to do that work because it has such an impact on patients and families. So to go back to add to Vicky's point and focus on the cancer world, it doesn't seem very nice to think about this in economic terms, but a predictive test, a test where you know someone's got the cancer predisposition genetic change is far cheaper to treat, far cheaper to manage for an NHS than someone who has presented with a cancer who has to then undergo lots and lots of therapy, lots of interventions. And if it takes that kind of business speak to try and persuade our leaders, to try and persuade our managers to integrate this more and more, then that's what we kind of have to start thinking. We have to, you know, really change our mindset. We are always there for the patient so you can have a two-pronged attack this slightly you know lacking in compassion robotic approach of economically this makes a lot more sense and then also bringing it back and reminding people that these are people and these are people's lives we're saving at the end of the day and I think when you bring it back to that people can't really say no I'm alluding to the potential barriers and difficulties nurses may face when they're trying to introduce new services and introduce new techniques into their current practice. I found it, as along with everyone else, there's lots of complicated things, the hoops you have to jump through, governance, but it does seem to come back to time and money. And sometimes that's quite a challenging conversation. Nurses aren't always trained to challenge their seniors and those are difficult conversations to have but I think using that kind of emotional emotive story weaponizing the emotive aspect of this is a patient's life would you really still like to not proceed with saving lives because I think you would and then also what Sally was saying about the time and Vicky was saying about the time and those snapshots of time that we have in busy clinical lives from a little kind of tip from my area is using the MDT as a teaching space, whether that's discussing patients' cases and educating the consultants and other members of the multidisciplinary team in that setting. The more you talk about it, the more people know and understand about it. And then also we've introduced in my area a five-minute MDT break. So we stop in the middle of five minutes, it's very strict, five minutes, and somebody gives a presentation or an update on what they have learnt or some new technique. And we often use that as a sort of genomics update area. These are the guidelines, this is what you need to know. It's really effective because no one can say no to five minutes, especially when our MDTs sometimes go on for four hours. It's a long time, so everyone slightly welcomes a five-minute break. Vicky, did you want to come in? Yes, I was just going to say that, um, just picking up on a couple of points, that, of course, the regional genetic services are as good as the patients referred into it. So, you know, if you're thinking about your position as a nurse or health visitor in a pathway, 
don't be afraid if you think, has anybody asked about family history or has anyone picked up on something? You may well be the first person that's thought mm-hmm. of that. And of course, then you have the opportunity to refer on. If you don't have a service set up, that's fine. But at least you can then uh, link in with your regional genetics. So I guess a message is never feel that you shouldn't ask questions and never feel if you're given a piece of information and you don't know what to do with it, you're on their, your own. There are areas that you can get advice um, and you can link in um, with, uh, you know, with lots of different people about this. And the other thing that I was going to say is that over the 10 years that I've been um, kind of enmeshed in genomics, if you like, it's not been an easy path. When I first started, um, I was questioned a lot as to my role. Why as a nurse was I doing this? And I think the thing that's got me through is the absolute passion and belief that what I and the team I was growing was doing was the best thing for the patient to ensure that they got the genetic testing far earlier in the pathway and also for my area of practice that we're looking after our families for the whole of their lives so we're there at the beginning and we're there in the middle and at the end Um, and I think that now it's come full circle and I'm sort of validated in a way that I wasn't sort of shouting out for nothing but I think it's been a really important journey and I think to all sort of nurses and health visitors and, and allied health professionals that may be listening, it's if you have a passion, you really believe in it, you know, stick with it. Because often you may be the lone voice to begin with, but that doesn't mean that you're wrong. It just means that people are not used to hearing the story told in the way you're telling it. And I think that's a really important thing to hold on to. I've often found like what a privilege you don't often get an opportunity in your professional career to be an, a, a bit of a warrior a bit of an advocate for something that is right and you're you might be fighting a little bit but this is this is right and this isn't a nice to have this is a need to have and that is the bottom line patients lives will be saved by this and in breast it is a simple blood test that's it and it's relatively cheap and it will potentially save the lives of the patient and also their relatives. So campaign with that in your heart, you know, that you've got this amazing opportunity to be fighting for something that's really, really worthwhile. And wow, what a privilege. I feel so lucky to have been existing as a nurse in, in this era. I think that's all really great advice that you, you've both given there. Sally, I want to ask you, what are your aspirations or hopes for genomics and nursing and health visiting over the next kind of five years? I would love for us to get to a point where nurses generally have a competence in their knowledge to then be confident in the practice that they can offer to children, family and patients. And I think we're not there yet. So I would love for us to get to that competence in our knowledge but also be aspirational. I think as Vicky and Tiggy have shared really that they have really built up services that are groundbreaking actually. And let's be aspirational and really believe in the worth that we have um, to change lives and to harness the technology that is out there. And I guess what I also really want to see is that not only are we better at testing and better at our understanding from those tests, but actually that the research that can only take place because of the results that we are getting is really changing treatment, is finding new treatments, is enhancing the kind of research community's knowledge so that we really do start to see 
you know, much greater success in our treatments and, and, and you know, in my world, children and families surviving for longer and the outcomes being better through genomic knowledge, really. And Vicky, I wondered if you could give me your kind of 10 second summary of what your vision is for the future of nursing and genomics. Well, I would hope that um, in five years time, many more nurses are doing what I'm doing, but that we are given the professional respect that we are doing this work, we can do this work. It is a sad fact that sometimes nurses are academically patronised, we're not seen as capable, we are capable. This is a beautiful example of advanced practice and I think that we are perfectly placed to be taking this on and I'd really like to see a better recognition of that in the future. And Tiggy, do you have anything to add? Very succinctly, I would love to see an NHS service where genomic testing was part of the standard routine standard of care and everyone had access to it across the country. It's been a real pleasure to have you all on the podcast today and it's been fantastic to discuss how we can empower nurses on the use of genomics in healthcare. Thank you so much to our panellists, Tiki Johnson-Burt, Sally Schilliker and Vicky Cottle. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, you can subscribe to The G Word on your favourite podcast app. In the meantime, it's goodbye from me and thank you again to all our contributors. <laughs>